Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Gray Matter. I'm Sarah Goa, a general partner at Greylock. It remains very difficult to build end-to-end -end products that leverage machine learning for business impact. And Base10 makes it fast, seamless, and serverless to build scalable, user-facing, workflow-integrated apps powered by AI. We've been working with the Base10 team since inception and are so excited to announce the company's $20 million seed and Series A financing today, led by Greylock and open availability of the Base10 platform. I'm here with Tuhin, co-founder and CEO of Base10. Welcome, Tuhin. Thank you, Sarah. Nice to be here. Can you just start by telling us what the Base10 platform does? Base10 reduces time to value of machine learning efforts in businesses. We enable teams to incorporate their machine learning models into production-grade applications like within hours instead of months. And so with Base10, data science and ML teams can easily pre-process data, serve their models, and build UI so you can end up with a full-stack machine learning application all within a single end-to-end -end platform. That sounds like a lot of the functionality in the machine learning, tooling, and applied ML space, a space that has a ton of startups and existing tools. Where does Base10 sit amongst all of that? And you know, just being aware of the landscape, what convinced you that there was something important that was still to be built here? So I think you know, it's worth just stepping back and thinking about everything that goes into shipping a machine learning model from I have a problem to I have something that's integrated into the business is adding value to a business. And so you first obviously make a problem statement, but then you, know, you prepare your data, you train your model, and that's what data scientists have traditionally been very, very good at. After that, you need to somehow get it hosted somewhere. And you know that's where tools like StageMaker come in. In the past, people have used stuff like Flask and Fast API. Some data scientists can do this, but it starts to get pretty hairy really quickly, especially when you start dealing with a lot of infrastructure, um, or you need to think about high-performance applications. But that's really just a model behind an API. You know, Once you have that, you need to start to actually integrate the business logic. So that might be pulling the data from somewhere, doing some transformations, writing it back to some other third-party service, or integrating it with the system of record. And then you know, if it's a workflow application, you oftentimes need to build a UI. And so there's a ton that goes in from zero to value in building with machine learning. Yes, we do some machine learning ops things, but we're much, much more focused on going from model to business value as as opposed to model to behind an API. And so, you know, the question you asked was like, how do we think there was something, especially in such a noisy landscape, why was this something worth building? It's because we saw white space and kind of this idea of productizing models is trying to think of machine learning as a product function as opposed to a research function. And what would be the tooling that unlocked that? I do think that there's a really odd dynamic in the machine learning landscape overall where the research functions of a very small number of largely private companies, less so even academic institutions these days, have made these amazing contributions in model architecture and new techniques to the world. And a lot of that has ended up in open source. But the realm of actually applying any of that innovation to real business problems is like massively underserved and, you know, not really focused on by much of the industry versus, you know, for example, like hitting a new benchmark or uh, an improvement in model architecture. And, you know, our assessment of the space at Greylock is that the vast majority of companies, even those with, you know, significant 
machine learning investments in data science teams and their own product engineering teams were very, very early in that journey of the application, much less having their own research effort. And and so definitely saw eye to eye with you guys on that. I also think that if you ask people today, I ask the portfolio companies that we get to work with to talk about their machine learning strategy. Very often it ends up being a second step in their company strategy, which is, oh, when, you know, when we can afford a team of a bunch of data scientists and we can really resource this, then we'll invest in it. And I, I think, you know, I'd love to, for you to talk a little bit about your background and the experience that you guys have had with Gumroad and with, with other companies you've worked for. Yeah, absolutely. So I have two co-founders, Phil and Amir. Phil and I actually grew up together in Australia. Um, we've known each other since we were 12, and um, we met Amir in 2012 when we were like, amongst the first few employees of a company called Gumroad, which is like a creative marketplace. And we were kind of tasked with this problem. You know, we were a really small team. We were getting smashed by fraud. You know, there was more fraud than there was actual volume for a while on the platform. And then people were uploading all sorts of weird content. Um, and we're like, oh, this seems like a pretty machine learnable problem. And... As a data scientist and someone with a machine learning background, I, I was like, okay, yeah, I, I can get a model up and running to do these things quite easily. And prior to Gumroad, I actually worked at a research lab in Boston where we were using machine learning to predict the diagnosis and prognosis of neuromuscular disease. And, you know, this largely an academic exercise. We are publishing papers more than we were actually building value. And I didn't really have that engineering skill set. So we, you know, lo and behold, I spent a few weeks putting together this, this data set, came up with this great model and I went to Amir, who was a CTO at the time, like the de facto CTO in Starhill, the CEO, like, hey, can I have some resources? And they're like, what does that mean? And so I basically realized that I had to learn to become a full-stack engineer to actually get any value out of my machine learning model. So I went and I, I knew Python, but I didn't know anything about servers. So I learned how to build a Flask app. I deployed it to AWS. It took me way too long. And then I was like, okay, cool. Now I have my model behind an API. I was like, oh, can I have some front-end engineering resources? And they're like, you know, there was no retool at the time. Um, and like, no. Like, and I was like, okay, well, I, I guess I've become, I guess I guess I become a, front, a front-end engineer now. And so within a few months to get value from these models, like I had to become a full-stack engineer. And I quickly realized that while there was a lot of work that goes into preparing your data and training your model and you know, don't want to discount that work, there's just as much work, if not more, that goes into actually connecting that model to actual business value. And, you know, for me, this was great. You know, I wanted to be a founder. I got to learn to be a full-stack engineer on the job so I could build whatever I wanted in the future. But if you think about it from a value proposition perspective, the gum already wasn't great. You know, I took out a person and it was really clear that for every model we came up with, we'd have to pair it with an equivalent amount of engineering resources to make it work. I think right after that, you know, me and Phil actually started another company called Shape that was acquired in 2018. Amir went to work at a company called Clover Health, where he was managing data platform. And he saw the same thing. So Clover Health, you know, they were trying to provide the smart diagnoses at the point of care to doctors. So they would take a medical record, they'd, they'd mine it, they'd take insurance claims and be like, hey, you should check for X, Y, and Z. Again, the data scientists come up with this great model and, you know, they, they're like, okay, so how do we actually get this in front of doctors? And, you know, obviously they didn't have the resources. We're all, ca- we're all constrained for engineers. And they came up with this great idea to, like, they put it in a spreadsheet. And the doctor would, per row, look it up. Really, it was the output of a table. And obviously, like, the barrier here to for that workflow, that in, in this case, the knowledge worker is actually the doctor, to actually do that work 
to be able to interact with the model was way too much. There was no ROI seen, and you know those, those efforts were scrapped. And so it became really clear to us that you know, data scientists weren't equipped and machine learning teams weren't equipped with the skills of themselves to be able to kind of ship these full-stack solutions, and nor did they oftentimes have the resources internally. And as a result, teams were coming up with a problem that was clearly solvable by machine learning, coming up with the initial model, but not being able to show value. And so as a result, other stakeholders' management would lose faith, and as a result, those efforts would get nixed. And to us, this seems like, why was this big? It's like, if, if we can reduce the barrier to you know, these companies that clearly have a business-critical way to use machine learning, we think that's the kind of the future that we're going in, is that all these kind of human, all these tasks today where there are humans making decisions, both augmentation and then automation will come with tools like base 10. The story of both the sort of engineering learning curve that you went up yourself and then the stymied efforts um, of Amir and his team at Clover Health, I'm, I'm sure also mirror a lot of the conversations you had with data scientists yeah. as you were exploring this idea. It's clearly not what any of the companies that are uh, recruiting these machine learning teams are out to do, right? And yeah. the likelihood that any of them is going to recruit high-quality machine learning people who are also going to learn back-end and front-end engineering and DevOps and, like, string together a service that way single-handedly just feels low. It feels like an impossible ask if, like, what we're aiming for is the democratization of ML. Nor should they, right? In the sense that, like, it's just the best use of very, very smart PhD from Stanford to go and learn how to, you know, make React apps. I, I, I don't think so. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about just like you went through this. Who did you end up deciding to build Base 10 for and who's using it today now? We were ourselves like ICs or um, ads startups that were going through some growth and didn't necessarily have the resources to have all that infrastructure in place. So we wouldn't have to build it ourselves. Turns out that we think like that's 90% of the market right now um, when it comes to machine learning teams. And so I think you know when we think about who we target, it's exactly that, is that these hustler type of, of machine learning and data science teams that really have the expertise to train a model, don't have the support. And what we've seen is that when you give kind of access to the ICs um, in this like bottoms up way that we've started to target in the last you know year, all sorts of weird examples come up. And it's really cool, you know, whether it's at the larger scale, you know, we have teams like Patreon and Pipe who are using it for, you know, content moderation, underwriting assets and you know, they've also started using it for data labeling and transcribing audio. And what we saw with those larger companies was that once you gave folks access to something that unblocked them, it kind of got the imagination going to what else they could do. And as a result of base 10, there was actually more machine learning at these companies. On the other side of the spectrum, we've seen, you know, the really, really small teams of startups or, you know, nonprofits where they might not necessarily have the resources to operationalize these models. People are just using base 10 for all sorts of use cases. So, you know, for user verification. So, you know, one of my favorite examples is this company called Primer, where they're using it to detect if someone's an adult or a child in these audio rooms where children can talk to each other. Um, we have nonprofits using it for translating language models to translate COVID materials and put them on the ground in, in Africa. We have a climate company using it in Europe to figure out where to place energy grids offshore. And so... To me, what's, what's really amazing is that by targeting the ICs, that we've unlocked all these different use cases that we didn't think about. 
I know you guys are focused on being an applied company versus primarily a research company, but that still sounds like a researcher's dream to be um, seeing how people are, you know, using all these different data sets that you often don't really have access to in academia versus, I don't know, for example, ad performance data on media. <laughs> I love hearing about the different use cases. So you mentioned you've been working on Base 10 for over two years now, and you brought people onto the alpha release just about a year ago. Who were some of the early adopters to help you, you know, develop the product and figure out what to focus on? We experimented early on with all sorts of people. You know, uh, one of our earliest customers was a large fintech company trying to build their fraud underwriting system with base case. They didn't have the resources to build it internally. Um, we, we had a, you know, we did some cycles with a large airline. They were trying to build departure devices, not as models. And, and we also, we also did early iterations with a bunch of, bunch of ICs who were building, building you know, prototypes. prototypes. I think, I think for us, what for was key there was that we wanted to be a horizontal company and we still aspire to be. We're not wed to anyone in the case of Base 10. If anything, at this time, is the ethos of government will carry forward and empower creators with tools and see what they'll do. And so we kind of cast the net really, really wide. But one thing we noticed really, really quickly with all these users was that, was that data scientists and machine learning teams, teams yeah, they know yeah, Python. They're, they're actually more product thinkers than you think. They think in terms of customer problems as opposed to engineering problems. And they don't like infrastructure. Going back to that customer journey, what is going to be the tool that allows them to think in terms of the customer needs? How do we allow them not to have to worry about infrastructure? And how do we utilize what we know data scientists and machine learning teams know really well, which is Python? And I think and that's, I think really, that's really, really what led us to building what is Base 10 today, today is understanding, understanding of like, let's lean into, into the technical, technical persona, persona, let's make sure, let's make that, sure that we are optimizing, optimizing for what they want to do, which is solving problems, problems and, and let's, let's make, make sure, sure they don't they have to do the thing that they hate doing. How did you think about maturity and scope as you built this out? And can you talk a little bit about the iterations and journey to get here? I think this actually goes kind of just like beyond just like data science machine learning. I think today the general developers expectations of product quality is higher than ever. That's amazing for the developer. It makes it really daunting when you're starting to build a horizontal product around all the things you need to build. And I think one thing that we were really focused on was, you know, we, we wanted the product to be strong enough that it can deliver value, but usable enough that that value could be self-attained by the data science and machine learning team that we didn't want to do a, a bunch of handholding. You know, we've gone through so many iterations of Base 10. We built our first version of the product, and we were kind of targeting the enterprise for a bit. Um, so we didn't really focus on usability at all. We got abstractions long, wrong along the way. You know, one of the things that we wanted to ensure that we had was, were these abstractions that made the easy things really easy. So sure, you shouldn't have to think about Docker and your YAML files, but when you want to add a GPU to your model, that should be really, really easy. And what this meant was that we had to have these abstractions that supported this wide array of easiness, but also the way allowing customers to build on top of us. Um, and so the first version of our of our backend was wrong, <laughs> and we rebuilt it. We're about to release very soon, and I, I think you know customers really struggled with going zero to one, and we were able to use that time to prove out value by helping customers. But we did have to rewrite, you know, big parts of the product multiple times over and over again to ensure that it was usable. And I think this is going to be a work in progress and it's going to be a journey that we're on. I think the product's in a really good spot, but we're, you know, we're nowhere near 
where we want to be. To be. Was there a specific user story or experience that someone had with the product that made you feel like we finally are on the sort of golden path? Because I, I know you and the team have been incredibly excited about the sort of cumulative efforts of grinding yeah, away yeah. on usability over the last months. Sometime in the last month or so, we realized that people were building something out of the artist knowing. That was a really big step for us, you know, in the sense that people were getting into the product. We had onboarded them, you know, months ago. We thought they turned off and they came back and, you know, we had this group of crypto developers who were running a consultancy on Basecamp. And, you know, we don't talk to them. And all of a sudden, you know, one day they had built all the QI out. And I think, like, the big, big moment for us was, like, when they started talking in our I mean, so I mean, that, you know, that we, we, we have these concepts, concepts of views, um, um, you know, back-end back endpoints, end which we call workloads and mode deployments. And when, 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 when a user calls you up and starts telling you about, you about hey, this workload's not working for me, it's kind of a magical moment. I made that concept up. That's been a really great moment. That's really cool. And, you know, they're learning those concepts by themselves from the product, and it's it's worthwhile. Um, and so I think that is a huge unlock. So, you know, we had long discussions about where the value was and what type of company you wanted to build from a go-to-market perspective. You went through a few iterations and then just very much committed to building a product that a single engineer or data scientist could self-serve. And now you're seeing the magic of that. Like, why is that important to you? And like, you know, if it's one one user at a time, how does an organization adopt Base10? Yeah, that's a good question. I think why it's important to us is like, you know, we we went through lots of iterations of this, as you said. Um, And I think... For a while, when it was just me and Mir and Phil, we just decided that at some point that when if we're going to build a company in the long term, um, we had to be really excited about the go-to-market motion, and it had to match who we were as individuals. And you know, I think one of the things that I talked to other founders about early on in their journeys, which is that whatever you do, it's just going to be really hard. <laughs> I don't know if there's an easy way of building a company. If you know Sarah, let me know. But there's two things that we we decided early on was that. If we're going to do it, we're going to take a big swing. And if we're going to do it, we may as well work with like the customers that we like, people like us, that we really enjoy talking to and spending time with. And, you know, that, that's been really amazing. Like, you know, working with engineers and data scientists, like our, our, our customers are really smart. It's honestly like a privilege that we get to spend time with them. We learn from our customers constantly, which is amazing. I think how organizations adopt base 10, that's a really good question. You know, what we've seen is that usually it's one data scientist or engineer. They get in, they start playing around. It doesn't really matter what the use case is. Um, you know, it, it, it can be with or without machine learning. I think there are just so many applications that get built from the point of I have no data or I have, I have data to I have something shipping and adding value. I want to iterate on it. It doesn't really matter where they come in. They, they, they come in, they start building, they build a tool. They usually start to invite either other data scientists or people who will use that tool onto Base 10. And then what we see is that once they're in, they just they say, well, you guys do X, Y, and Z as well. So, you know, Patreon started with a, a data labeling tool and they're like, oh, but you guys do model deployment too. We should give that a shot. Um, and I think, you know, same with Pipe, exactly the same journey. They started with this really lightweight data labeling tool. And then like, oh, actually, we have this, we have this model. Can we deploy it? So usually what we see is that it doesn't matter what they come in to do, but they come in to build an application. They bring other people in and they just and start, they to, just build start to build more. As somebody who invests in a lot of collaborative tooling for technical audiences, like I feel like this is part of the magic of this type of business, which is 
incredibly hard to get right from a product value and usability and aesthetic and distribution perspective. But when you do, like the amazing thing about technical people is they choose tools for much of the organization and they take the tools they like with them. Um, and like it's, it's amazing to see you guys empowering that. The company has accelerated hiring dramatically over the last like six, 12 months. Can you talk a little bit about where you guys are as a company and you know, who the team is and how you collaborate? We are a group of 20-ish people. We have a small office in San Francisco but we are essentially a remote company. Um, the office is more of a, of a social ga- as a gathering spot as opposed to a place where people do work. We didn't set out to build a remote company, um, to be frank. I was actually quite against it. You know, I was like, I love being in the office. What are you talking about? And, you know, I live in LA and I fly up to be an SF to be around people constantly. But what we realized once the pandemic hit was that, you know, it was actually a golden opportunity to hire all sorts of folks who otherwise wouldn't consider working at a company like BaseSent because it wasn't in the geography. And as a result, you know, you know, we, we built this remote culture. We have people in, you know, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Seattle, Montana, Quebec City, New York, Boston, Armenia, and it, it's been fantastic just to see like the different um, types of talent that remote work has unlocked for us. In terms of what that means for us, I think just like every other company that, that I think we had one employee. Punkage who before the pandemic hit, but for every other company that's matured during this period, still a work in progress. We're figuring it out, but you know we do our work. We spend a lot of time on Zoom, unfortunately, but you know at the same time, like you know we we're figuring out how to make that effective. We've been really really lucky to be able to hire some really really senior, kind, thoughtful folks who have a real really constructive mindset to work. A lot of that's been from our network, but I, I I'd be. I, I can't not give a shout out to John and Dwayne of the Greylock recruiting team who have just been fantastic um, in terms of um, adding value. It's pretty unreal, I think. And in, in this hiring climate, that is just ridiculous. Um, and, you know, these are high quality people who have, you know, shaped our company and we wouldn't be where we are without them. We're uh, rooting for your success. And John and Dwayne, if you uh, hear this, we love you. <laughs> so this is actually a pretty broad product. And now you have a certain level of product maturity and you have production deployments. You've still decided to call the platform release uh, a beta. You know, why are you doing that? And where are you excited to continue deepening and extending the platform? Yeah, two things. We still think we're at the earliest stages of, of learning. The product feels mature and we have production use cases, but, you know, we're still figuring out a lot of the usability kinks. And, and I think the reason why we want to call it beta is just to invite people and in, into the product um, with having high expectations of what they'll build and really surprise them once they're in. I think it also gives us a bit more wiggle room um, in terms of, like, making sure all those abstractions are right. We just have so much to build. And we hope that Base 10, over time, can power a lot of value and you know, hopefully we can capture a small amount of that of that value and build a really valuable company but overall to get there it's going to take a minute and we're not there yet there are three parts of base 10 um it's a pretty wide product right so like there's the model deployment engine we have the workload builder which is a basically an api endpoint builder we allow you to embed a model and surround it with all sorts of code so you can actually build business logic alongside that model um, and then we have a ui builder i think given that we have these three pretty intense components like let's be honest like that there are three mini companies or mini products within themselves there's a lot to build and and what that means is that everything's at slightly different maturity 
one of the reasons why we're releasing this as a beta is because you know we want all those three things to be up to parity before we have like a go GA. I'd say today, like the workload and, and the model deployment piece are doing really well. And I think, you know, we, we've seen lots of value being added there. And the UI build a bit earlier in life, and we're going to continue to iterate and learn from customers. Um, and as part of this beta, the goal is to get that up to the same level of maturity, and then we'll go GA. So the cool thing about having these three different product pillars is that it actually gives us three places to build this platform and ecosystem. And so on the model side, you can deploy a state-of-the-art model with base 10 very, very quickly. Today, um, we have, I think, maybe over 30 state-of-the-art models that you can deploy with one click. It's Whether that's wave to vector or short classification, we have a GPT-3 integration. You, you can use these state-of-the-art models, and it gives us a way, I think, today to build the ecosystem there. I think on the workload um, engine side, you can almost think of the way of assembling this business logic as blocks, and you know we can build um, an ecosystem around the different snippets of code you might surround your model with. If you're a data scientist and you want to write your prediction back to Salesforce, do you need to write that integration yourself or can Base 10 do it for you? And I think the third part is the views where, you know, we have these views of these individual components, a drag and drop builder. And, you know, we've already had customers ask us, can we contribute back to this so we can reuse some of these components? I think the even more exciting thing is when we, when we take all three of these things and layer in templates. And I think we can have an ecosystem of templates that uses a model with some workloads with a view for a particular use case. So if you're a company with a content moderation problem, can Base 10 take you zero to one or zero to 80 or 90% of the way there with this pre-built template that uses a specific type of model, has all the queuing logic and um, verification logic built in, and then has a UI for reviewing those predictions. Yeah, that last piece sounds like very holy grail for many machine learning applications, because I, I think the, you know, m- most organizations like, let's say they can find the Tuhin and Phil and Amir like unicorn that's like, yes, like I personally know data science and full stack engineering and I'm motivated to build it all together. Given that they're still kind of stuck between I'm going to use some sort of off the shelf application or API against my use case, or I'm going to build it all from scratch myself. And I think what people really, in many cases, want is the ability to use a state-of-the-art model and to tune specific parts of that workflow. And that could be, as you mentioned, like pre-processing, or it could be like the UI for the analyst in a fraud use case, but not like take the entire lift of building that application from scratch um, and and get all of the performance and benefit. So the glorious future, it's coming. In terms of just like with all three of those pieces, like we do think about them in a modular format. So you don't have to use all of base 10 to get value from it. I think, you know, you can use just the model deployment piece or the workload builder or just the view builder. Um, and we're built for you to integrate in and out of base 10 um, across those three pillars. You've talked about base 10 being a very mission oriented company. If base 10 succeeds, like what change do you hope to see in the world in the next decade? You know, if we're successful, we're going to like reduce the costs of shipping ML. You know, iteration cycles will be quicker. More people will be collaborating around models. And I think overall, if there's anything you can do to increase collaboration and quicken iteration cycles, you'll see an effectiveness in the overall process. And that's really what we hope is that, you know, as a result of Base 10, we are going to increase the effectiveness of machine learning efforts. And as a result of that, really, um, that's going to result in more models for more businesses because there'll be more investment because we're seeing how ML is moving the needle for real organizations. Yeah, I absolutely believe that. 
Tuhin, thank you so much for doing this. Congrats to you and the entire Base 10 team on the platform launch, and we're, we're thrilled to be working with you. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah.